Meditation is not about relaxing. This is a huge thing that I have to tell people. People think because of the images that we've seen of meditation of like this woman sitting on a mountaintop with white light surrounding her, that like meditation is supposed to be this beautiful experience always, but it depends how we define beautiful because meditation isn't about relaxing. It isn't about being Zen. It's about becoming more alive, becoming more connected to your passions, more connected to your emotions, more connected to the essential nature of who you are. I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing changemakers and culture shapers who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. From growing up with gunshot holes outside his bedroom window to sharing the stage with Deepak Chopra, Justin Michael Williams knows well the power of healing to overcome. He is an author, transformational speaker, top 20 recording artist, has been featured by the Wall Street Journal, Grammy.com, Yoga Journal, Billboard.com, Wanderlust, and SXSW. With his groundbreaking new book, Stay Woke, and over a decade of teaching experience, Justin has become a pioneering thought leader for equality in the diversifying wellness movement. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm joined by Justin Michael Williams. I'm so excited to have you here, Justin. I've got your book, Stay (laughs) Woke, A Meditation Guide for the Rest of Us, which is one of my favorite subtitles, I think, ever. And I'm excited to have this conversation with somebody who's a real teacher in these times that we really need. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you. Thank you so much, Layla. It's it's really an honor and a privilege. And and this is one of the interviews, you know, you know how it is when you're doing a book, you do a lot of interviews, but this is one of the ones that I've been excited about. So I'm very excited. And just for context for people. So we're recording this right now at the end of March of 2020. Justin, your book came out last month, February? February 11th. February 11th. Right after yours. Just right after mine. And then coronavirus hit us. It sure did. And (laughs) just like that, we were plunged into a whole new different world. And so this is going to be, I think, a really necessary conversation for a lot of people. I personally have really been looking forward to it. There's so much that I know that I can learn from you and so much that I know that you can bring to our listeners. Um, So we're just really honored to have you here. So thank you. Thank you so much, Layla. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. All right. So our very first question, same for everybody. Who are some of the ancestors, living or transitioned, familial or societal, who have influenced you on your journey? I cannot possibly answer this question without first talking about my grandmother. Uh, I know. Yeah. 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 I was like, you know that's coming. That's the first person I have to mention because my grandmother, who in my family we call Baka, which is the randomest thing, there's nothing spiritual or magical about it. It's just, I was a little kid and people would try to, you know, when you're trying to teach a little kid to talk, they were telling me, try to say grandma. So they would yeah. go say grand and I would go grand. 
and they'd say, say ma, and I'd go ma, and they'd go, say grandma, and I'd go baka. So she became baka. That's how that happened. And so, so my baka is and was just the most, or one of the most, I would say, important people in my life. And gosh, a li- almost a decade ago, my grandmother, my baka, who I was super close to, got diagnosed with stage four cancer, and the doctors told her she had a couple months to live. Mm. And when this happened, it was a huge shock to our entire family. She was what I consider seemingly young, 67, seemingly healthy, you know, and it just was like, boom. And so I flew home to Northern California, to Pittsburgh, California, which is where I'm from, from LA. And I walked in the door and immediately I walked in the door. She pulled me into her room, shut the door and asked me a question that changed the trajectory of my whole life. She literally said, Justin, I've been wanting to ask you something for a long time, but now that I know I don't have a lot of time, I'm going to ask you now. And I'm looking at her like, what is, you know? And she just said, if you were in my shoes and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And I'm looking at her like, what are you even talking? And she said, get quiet, get still, do that meditation thing you're always talking about. Get still and listen, if you were in my shoes and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And in that moment, I just closed my eyes and almost immediately I felt this like well of energy and emotion just kind of rush up through me and tears almost wanting to come out, but I couldn't cry. And I just said, I would quit every single thing that I'm doing and I would record an album. I would do music. And she looks at me and she goes, I know, baby, I know. And the thing is, I had always wanted to do music ever since I was a little boy, but I let all the kids who tease me about being different, tease me about being too feminine, tease me about being gay. Tease, I used to get bullied and teased a lot in school. I made them, I let them make me think I sucked at everything and I stopped myself. And I think, you know, we all have these things. We all have these dreams and goals and visions for our lives, whatever it's about, whether it's about our family, our work, our passions, our relationships, but that we don't think are possible for us right. because of something somebody told us in the past. And so... When my grandmother asked me that question, it just woke up something inside of me that I thought was, was completely dead. And there's this quote that I remember that just like flashed in front of my eyes that I've been sharing when I was on tour that's actually not in the book. And I say, this quote flashed in front of me that says, someone once told me the definition of hell. And it's on the last day you have on earth, the person you became will meet the person you could have become the last day you have on earth. You felt that? <laughs> Did you feel that? Right? Every time I hear that, I feel that the person you became will meet the person you could have become. And I saw it because where I was in my life, you know, I grew up in a home with gunshot holes literally on the outside of our house and yeah. domestic violence and alcoholism and a lot of love in my family, but a lot of trauma like many of us have. So what I did in my young adulthood was I just did everything that I could to be successful and get out. And so instead of going after my dream of music, I wanted to go after something that would be quote unquote safe and successful. And the thing is I did, I did all of that. I got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. I was graduating with honors. I was getting good grades. I had an amazing marketing business making six figures by 23. But the thing was, I was still miserable inside because I tried to change my external world Mm -hmm. to scratch that itch of my purpose and my calling and my passion. I wasn't doing. And so when my grandmother, who is, I consider my greatest ancestor now, because she passed a few months later, nine months after that day, actually. She um, gave birth to you. She gave birth. 
it was the greatest challenge in my life, but she gave me the gift of living my yeah. life, which was just amazing. Wow. That's really just struck me hard. My maternal grandmother is somebody who is always, always comes into my dreams. So all of my grandparents have, have passed on. And my maternal grandmother, I didn't live with her very much. You know, I grew up in the United Kingdom. She lived in, in Tanzania. We lived with her for a short while. When I was around a teenager, she moved here to Qatar and lived with us for a while. But other than that, didn't spend that much time with her. And she's also got dozens of grandchildren. So it's not like I'm a, I was a favorite or anything like that. We didn't have that kind of relationship. Also, her first language was Swahili. Mine isn't. You know, that's my parents' mother tongue. English wasn't very strong for her. And yet she's always in my dreams. Always, wow. always, always in my dreams. And so like, I really felt that, you know, I read your book, obviously, and I've been listening to your talks and your interviews, and you always talk about just how influential she is, your Baka, yeah. to you, your personal journey, as well as your external journey. You wouldn't be here right mm-hmm. now. This book wouldn't be here if not for her. And it sounds no. like she gave you permission to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, first thing, I, I think it's really interesting that your grandmother, like your relationship building with her has begun. On the other, the side. other side. Right. Which is really beautiful and yeah. amazing. And, and that happens, but to not get on that tangent, like the, the thing that has been really interesting with my grandmother is like, even as a kid, I grew up in a home where being gay or being any of that was not okay. You know, it was not perceived as okay. And my parents had me in like basketball and football and baseball and I sucked. That would have been a better cheerleader or gymnastics (laughs) or something. And, but my grandma, every time I would go to her house, every time I would do anything, she saw me. So she would always have me doing arts and crafts and dancing Mm -hmm. and singing because she could see and she was nurturing. And I think the best parents can see what's inside of their children and nurture and pull that out instead of forcing their values right. are what they want on, right. on their kids. And so I think she just always knew that, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. And you're on a good path, but, but you're on the wrong path. And right. that's a beautiful thing. And what's fascinating about it is you said, you know, by the time you were, what, 23, you had a six-figure business, yeah. but inside things were not right. On the outside, it was glossy and shiny and it was everyone's dream. I mean, I probably at 22 would have been looking at you at 23 and thinking, what have I done Girl, with my life? I was, <laughs> can I say, I was the shit at 23, okay? I was going to say, it, it was all a facade. I was a hot was mess at 23. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot I'm more mess. of a hot mess now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like you said, it was from the outside, yeah, great, but from the inside, not so much. And what really strikes me about that is you worked really hard to claw yourself out of a traumatic upbringing and an environment that was also, you know, not entirely safe, both physically and emotionally. And you created this life for yourself, but you were still very much in survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it didn't yeah. look like that from the outside. Yeah, this is so important because this is why we have to go into these shadows of our lives because people like, oh, I don't want to look at the past or I don't want to talk about blah, 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 blah. you know, only love and light, love and light. I remember one of my mentors told me, honey, the bigger the light, the bigger the shadow sometimes. Yeah. So we need to look in there. And 
I think for so many of us, we have these experiences of, of trying to change our external world, hoping that it will heal what's inside. And especially if you've grown up with any kind of trauma, and this is not the trauma Olympics. It's not like my traumas compared to your trauma. No. Like any of this stuff, like I know for me, what happened was growing up in a home with gunshot holes and alcoholism and all this kind of stuff, like what you want to do is get out. But what I wanted to do at least was get out. And so my way was like, okay, well, how am I going to do that? And the way that I found love and validation and praise and acceptance and all of this was through my schoolwork. Yeah. And being Same. smart and <laughs> making money. Hello. So we become, you know, those of us who have that, we become like, I, I call it in the book, overachiever syndrome. Yep. We become like so obsessed with the achieving yeah. that we end up following the achieving instead yeah. of following the purpose and the passion. And that's exactly what I did. It was like, oh, I'm good at marketing. I'm good at writing. I'm good at speaking. That's what I'm going to do because that's what I'm going to be good at. And that's where I'm going to make money. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, but we have to also look at our lives holistically to see okay, what is the calling that is really on my life. Right. Right. My mentor, Dr. Frantonia Pollins, talks about what is the genesis energy from which we're taking action. So Ooh, if you talk about that more. That's so if the genesis energy is, I'm trying to escape where I came from. I'm trying to prove. I'm trying to heal a wound. I'm trying to avoid that feeling. Yeah. Yes, it will give you fuel, right? It will give you fuel to go after it, to achieve, but you get there and the energetic signature of what you create still carries that genesis energy of the wound versus what you're saying, which is going from the survival or the wound to purpose and letting purpose, desire be the genesis energy. So I'm really curious because I want to bring this now into your book because that first part of your journey is the complete opposite to the essence of stay woke. What do you mean? Well, it's a different genesis energy. Oh, yeah. Right? It's not overachieving. It's not trying to prove. And yet you are achieving and it's wonderful and I'm cheering for you and it's amazing. (laughs) But the genesis energy now is purpose, calling. How did you go from, or what were the defining moments for you from where you were at 23 to where you are now and this mission that you have with, with Stay Woke? Yeah, my gosh. So I'll tell you this story. This is one of my favorite stories that actually isn't in the book. It didn't make the book, but I've been telling it on the road. So soon after my grandmother passed away, I met my mentor and teacher, Lauren Roche. And the way that that happened, it was almost like my grandma like transferred this energy. It was amazing. And I had gone to this meditation class and I had been meditating and doing yoga already for about five years, but it didn't really stick. And I was like, well, I was like trying to meditate. I can't stop thinking. What is this? And whatever, like every once in a while it was good. And then I get invited to go to this party. My friend Christy invites me to this party and I get there and there's this older gentleman sitting next to me. So I'm, I think 20, 21. And he's probably in his late sixties. And this older guy, he leans into me. He's like, Hey young man, how was your day? So this is an older white man, white hair. I'm trying to give you the picture. Okay. I'm like a young 20 something black dude. I think at that point I had a ponytail. My eyebrows were snapping. It was just a whole thing. And I was wearing a deep V neck American apparel t-shirt when that was the thing. And 
he leans into me and said, how was your day? And I said, oh, I went to this meditation thing today, but I didn't really like it. And I lean into him and I said, have you ever heard about meditation? And the thing was like, to give you context, like at that time, I didn't know any black people meditating. In Santa Monica, I was like the only black person anywhere to be seen. Like Oprah had not done a meditation challenge yet. Like none of that happened, you know? And so I'm thinking meditation is this little thing that not that many people are doing. And little did I know, I was sitting next to one of the world's most renowned meditation teachers and scholars, Lauren Roche. And so can you imagine my little ass saying, have you ever heard about meditation? Do you know about this thing? (laughs) Do you know about this thing? And so what happened was amazing, Layla. He didn't let me on to the fact that he was a teacher. He just started asking me questions. Like, Mm -hmm. why do you want to meditate? Like, what's going on? And I start telling him, like, I have these dreams and these goals that I want to accomplish, but I felt like my outside world was the same, but my inside world was miserable and all my, how I grew up and telling him all these stories. And then at the end of the night, he takes out a piece of paper and rips it off of his little notebook out of his bag. And he writes his number. I still have the paper to this day. And he writes Lauren and his phone number and he hands it to me and he says, all right, kid, if you want to learn to meditate, if you want to learn to really meditate, meet me at the beach tomorrow at 10 o'clock, 945 actually is what he said at Ocean Park Boulevard. So I grabbed this paper and first of all, I still didn't even know who he was. So I grabbed this paper and I'm thinking, my mama taught me better than this. <laughs> this old man is not getting me to go to the beach, okay, in the morning to meditate. No. And so it was funny because I go to my friend who invited me and I'm like, this old man was trying to pick me up. <laughs> and, and then she tells me who he was. I go to the beach the next day and everything shifted. This was the Genesis switch right here. Like I went to the beach and for the first time ever in my meditation with Lauren, first of all, it didn't feel anything like any other meditation I'd ever done. Mm. Second, it was the first time that I saw a future where my possibilities were bigger than my circumstances. That's what happened in that practice. Mm. And that was the switch. And you have to get like, for those of us who've grown up with, with any of all this shit, you know, systemic oppression and, and all the things, like when we can see the possibilities being bigger than the circumstance, it, that's big. So what happened at the end of that practice and what ultimately gave way to this book many, many years later is Lauren finishes practicing with me and he says, all right, he gave me his number. He said, I want you to text me every day for the next two weeks and let me know how this is going for you. And if this works for yes, you- Yes, accountability. You did every day. Yeah. And he said, if this works for you, I'll teach you everything I know. And I said, what? I'm looking at this guy like, I mean, this would be like John Kabat-Zinn or somebody being like, I'm going to just teach you everything I know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? And he said, in all my 30 years of teaching and writing and speaking, I've never seen someone who's your age, who looks like you, who's gone through what you've gone through, interested in this practice. And I think one day there are going to be people who need to hear your voice who don't need to hear mine. I get choked up when I say it. I've been choked up several times during this conversation already. <laughs> wow, Justin. So that was the switch moment. This and is it all so, kind of this waking is, up then. I feel like I'm watching a movie. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm reading a book. I mean, this is so incredible. There's a couple of things that strike me. First of all, this teacher appearing just casually at a party. And I love what you said about, I feel like my grandmother like switched up the energy, like somehow she was there, her presence was there creating that connection. And so that really strikes me, but more so than anything is the fact that you said, yes, I will go down this yellow brick road on this weird journey into Oz. 
And what's really important, I think, about that is there are teachers who appear in our lives all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. And you have to be discerning enough to know who's standing in front of you, you know, and it's not just about their greatness, but it's, I think, that little voice inside that says something important is happening here. Did you feel that you had that with Lauren? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was like, because on the outside, you would think that there would be no way that I would have any relationship with this man. And he's still one of the closest people to me. We talk several times a week, but something in me in that moment just knew it was just like, go, you know, just go and just do it. You know, with my grandmother, we were in this really interesting point of evolution because I'd been so close to her for such a long time and she had been teaching and and instilling me with wisdom for such a long time. But when she passed, I'd never felt incomplete with our relationship. And even her, she said, I feel so happy because you've listened to everything and I've given you everything. Mm. And so there was this interesting completion where I think she knew where I was evolving spiritually and emotionally and intellectually. You know, she didn't have an education. She never read any of these things. She was a Christian woman and and not saying that she had any less than or anything like that. There there was this marker that now I was taking it forward for our family, you know, and for the future. And so Lauren kind of then came in with this whole different approach of how to live the practices differently. So Right. And so then the, the second point around that was that through this experience, you were offered a whole new different worldview. And yeah. I think that's so key as well. And especially when we're talking about those of us who experience marginalization, that the world is made so small and so self-contained that we're often not able to see what would life look like without those systems of oppression being enacted upon us? How can I think bigger than my circumstances when I don't know what that would even look like? And I think that's such a pivotal moment because you don't just see that it's possible, but that it's possible for you specifically. Yes. And that it's not fake. There's a real recognition inside. And, And I think what I'm really struck by is that there is a self, there is a higher self inside ourselves that have these moments of saying, this is where you're going to go. This is where you're going to be. And I don't know about you, but with me, when my book came out and it, you know, did what it did in the world. And I had this moment of 20 year old me who was a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Miserable because I was in a career that I didn't want to be in. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that there was something that I was supposed to be doing in the world. And I was supposed to be making a difference in the world somehow. I just didn't know what it was. And so I had this moment of my self, my big self speaking to that younger self and saying, see, I told you. I told you it would happen. Did you have any kind of moment like that with your book? Oh, I have this all the time. So <laughs> I have it all the time. And, and to be honest, Layla, this is why people are often surprised. My book doesn't just guide people on how to meditate. I actually start with having them write a vision for their life that's bigger than their circumstances. Yeah. The first whole chapter is about we dream bigger. You know, we have a dream. And, you know, I think about Martin Luther King, who like had this dream that really in America still hasn't come true, but like it's given us this thing to go forth. And I think Mm -hmm. what happens with these visions and these dreams 
probably like your experience with your book is what matters is not that our dreams and visions manifest exactly as we saw them in our heads. What matters is who we become That's in right. pursuit of the vision. That's like right. Who we're becoming. And what I'm finding right now, even in my life, I think we all will constantly have this, is there is this higher self. I love that you call it that. Sometimes I call it a future self, but I think without space and time, it is just a higher self. I call that it is, my, my self with a capital S. Yes. Yeah. There is that self that is longing to merge and be in a relationship with us. Yeah. And we are always in relationship to it. We're either running from it or we're running towards it. Right. I love that. There's no in between. We're not still. Every action you take, right? We're either running from it or running towards it. And so, like, I remember when this book came out and this was my real moment. I was on tour before it got paused with the COVID-19 situation. I was on tour at my first tour stop, which was at my high school that I grew up in, where I used to get teased and bullied and and also just had a really weird dynamic there because I was also popular, but then I got teased. So it was mm. just weird. And I used to host the rallies and assemblies. And so there's 3,500 students at this high school. Wow. Okay, And we went to the high school for my first tour stop. And I'm standing on the stage and the kids don't know they're all getting free books. And I was doing this big kind of TED talk style event to give them the books. And I'm standing there. Well, two things happen. I've never told this to anybody publicly. So here we go. So once right into in the middle of my talk, one of the kids, like kind of the rowdy kids in the back of the audience, and it was a silent moment in the talk, yells out, are you gay? He's gay. And it was this this threshold moment for me. It felt like it was the moment, you know, when like this karate kid has to like prove himself to become. So when I was in high school and I used to host rallies and host anything, that was the same exact voice, same exact question that used to come at me and make me shrink and shrivel and hide and be afraid and shake. And what happened in that moment was I felt me now and me at 16 standing on that stage together. And what I said, like, it was just a flash. I was like, I got you. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I got you. Yeah. And the 16 year old me could just sit back and go, okay, let's let him do it. You know what I mean? Like he's a grown man. And so it was this crazy moment. And then what actually ended up happening, Layla, that I have to share with you, the end of the story was, like I just was continuing to go through my talk and there's a part of my talk that I naturally, I didn't plan. It was already planned for me to say this like 30 seconds after the kid said this, I said, you know, for those of us who think we're not good enough because people say we're too fat or we're too old or we're too ugly or we're too gay. Yeah. And when I, the words gay came out of my mouth and I said, and yes, for anybody wondering, I'm a proud gay black man. And the whole audience started cheering and screaming <sighs> And then after the event, all these queer kids were coming up to me saying, thank you. We've been wanting to come out, but we're afraid. Thank you. They're like, so I got to stand up for those kids that are me, where I was them. And uh, like, that was a whole moment. That is a huge moment. That yeah. is a huge, huge moment from the 16-year-old you going, you know what? He's got that. He's got us. Yeah. We're safe here. And so many of us grow up into adulthood, but still that that wounded, scared younger self is still running the show. 
and oh, we yeah. haven't yet met the grown person inside who can say, step back. I got this, right? I got this. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can be grown in years, but inside haven't yet been introduced or reintroduced to that, that self, that capital S self who can say, I got you and we, we are fine here. We're okay. We're good. So I love that you had that moment because you got to have it for you, not as theory, but as a real embodiment to a very real wound of bullying, right? Probably one of my biggest ones, you know? Exactly. So that's a huge healing moment for you. I just want to celebrate you because that's amazing. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And then that you got to be that representation for other kids in the audience who were you. Yeah. Who were that you? was the biggest moment for me. Mm-hmm. When they came up to me after, there was these, these group of girls who came up, they're freshmen, 13 or 14, and three of them. And they said, do you have any advice for coming out of the closet to your parents? We've never told anyone but each other that we're gay. And they're coming up to me. Yeah. And what was also a beautiful moment is my mom was there for the tour. And I said, do you mind if I ask my mom what her advice would be for giving? And my mom was like, my mom's grown so much. Like she used to be so not okay. And now she's like, a gay rights activist. And so it's like, she's like grown so much. And so I had this beautiful moment with, at my high school with my mom and me giving these kids like the same lessons that we've had to learn. And, oh, it just was so beautiful. So after that, I knew, I said, okay, I could do anything. We're good. Take me on the tour. I'll do whatever it is. I got it. Because if I could go through that, I got it. And it's such a, for me, it's such a good ancestor moment. And with this whole podcast, and I talk about being a good ancestor, I'm not talking about at the end of your life, you can look no. back. I'm saying now, right yeah. now, how are you able to pass on the lessons that you have learned? How are people able to benefit from the healing work that you have done so that they may come into their own healing as well? And that's, that is such a beautiful story of what that can look like. So thank you for sharing that. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about this beautiful book. And can I just say, I mean, you can't see it here, but it's one of the most beautifully illustrated whoops, books that yeah. I have ever seen. Just so, so beautiful. An amazing illustrator that you got from this book. Who is Yeah, Victoria Casanova, just a beautiful out. woman of color who did, the intention was to make sure that this book was fun and had energy and most importantly, showed us. Yeah. Let's see doing these can, practices. The illustrations really match the energy of your words and your work. They're like these beautiful moments of pause in the book. Yeah. They just break up. You've created a handbook. You've created a tool, a companion for those of us who are really wanting to develop a mindfulness practice, for really wanting to create a deeper relationship with ourselves, but our confused about where to start, how to begin. And there is so much out there in the world in this genre, right? In this area, in the wellness space, meditation books, mindfulness books. What's different about this for me, why I wanted to read this book immediately, why I wanted to have you on this podcast is, as you said, you know, in your identities, I'm a gay black man who is doing this work out in the world and you speak from that lens. And that means so much to me because I have been hungry for so many years in this space for work that actually speaks for somebody who looks like me, for somebody who's thinking about things like I am. And oftentimes what we see in this industry is 
that it ends up being very white centered, very cisgendered, very middle class. And this is not to minimize any trauma that people who have those identities may hold, but there are so few resources for people who don't fit into those identities. And that's why I love the subtitle of a meditation guide for the rest of us. So for the rest, yeah. for us to sleep, but also those of us who are marginalized. You got both. You got the play on words. Yay. I, Some people don't get that. <laughs> I don't know how they don't get it. I'm just like, yes, it's for me. That's who it's for. It's brilliant. It's amazing. Tell us the broad intention of this book, first of all. What is the broad yeah. intention? And then guide us through some of the teachings, the core things that you would pull out for people who are starting on this journey. One of the ones that stuck out for me was your teachings on mantras, mm-hmm. which I had never heard taught that way. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I think that I am, I'm feeling called. I think you named so much of it so beautifully, Layla. So thank you. But one of the things that a lot of people ask is when I say for the rest of us, they say, well, who's the rest of us? You know, and it was a really interesting thing for me to go deep into myself yeah. to write towards the end of the writing process. When I actually wrote out on page three of the book, like this is who the rest of us are. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of authors, sometimes we have fear of like, am I going to, am I going to push people away? So can I just read a little, please do, page, please page do three to you. So this is right, right. When you open the book, it says, for my black brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my women who've had enough, this is for you. For my starving artists and workaholic creatives, this is for you. For my conscious entrepreneurs who want to make an impact, this is for you. For those who have been discriminated against for their otherness, this is for you. For my social justice warriors, this is for you. For my tree-loving planet savers, this is for you. And for all people of color, and everyone else who is woke enough to understand why I'm pointing that out in the first place, Mm. this is for you. This book is for us, for the people. Yes. You know, I think there are many, like I check off several of those boxes and there's many of them that I don't, but I think there's a place where the spiritual world and the mindfulness world has done us a disservice because it is not placed these teachings that have changed so many of our lives into our context. That's right. And those of us who started these practices early, like we had to figure this out. Like I had to figure out, like none of my white male teachers could answer for me, hey, how does this work when my grandmother thinks this is worshiping the devil? Like these are all things we had to figure out. And so now what I think is so beautiful that's happening, and this this is really my stance on it. Like people ask, well, like there needs to be more diversity in spirituality. And what my stance from watching for the last almost 15 years is it's happening. Yes. Like it actually is happening and it can't happen faster because what's happening is just about five, six years ago, like a swell of people of color and queer people and and marginalized people started getting into the practices. And so it's going to take a few years for them to get steeped in the practices enough for them to teach with integrity in a place that they will last. And I am just lucky that I happen to be a few years ahead of that curve. In five years from now, there's going to be tons of black, queer women like teaching all these kinds of things. And so I just wanted to make sure I took the practices and was able to apply them to our real messy lives so that we can use it to overcome. 
I never thought about it from that perspective because you've been in this space for a very long time. So you have seen the rhythms, you have seen the changes that have happened over time. I think from my perspective, what I have seen, even just within the last three years, I would say, is that there has been a greater understanding that it's not that people of color don't do this work, it's that institutional racism keeps us out from being put as the leaders, recognized, credited, you know, a lot of times, many of these practices originated from us. Almost all of them, Doc. Almost all of them, <laughs> Almost right? all of them, yeah. And then there has been a forgetting and a great remembering, and there has been a, a very deliberate but hidden exclusion that's happened as well. Part of my intention with Good Ancestor podcast is to highlight as many teachers as I can find. And it's interesting because I get pitches a lot for the podcast from guests whose work I don't know and who, you know, I don't follow and oftentimes are white. And I just think I have a a list this long of just the people I know, (laughs) people of color. I need to get through that list first because before I can even think about bringing people who are already have the privilege of being seen and being respected at, you know, wherever they go. But there is definitely so many factors at play here as to why, like you said, that rate, it is increasing, but it's still It's slow. It's slow. And as with everything, I think there's the things that have to happen on that kind of systemic level and people doing their own, you know, personal work and doing that systemic work. And at the same time, there are those of us who have to learn how to use our voice as well. Because being silenced, you know, systemically, institutionally will end up in you silencing yourself as well. Yes. Oh oh my God, you're speaking, I mean, just all the truth. And, you know, I can say this, like what I think has happened or what I feel like I know has happened for most of us, but the undoing and the reckoning is is happening now is, you know, like you said, most all of these practices come from people of color, indigenous people, you know? And then what's happened is the practices have been stripped away, demonized, co-opted, corporatized, and then sold back to us in a way that we feel like, oh, well, that ain't for us. Right. We don't do that. Right. We don't do that. We don't this, do that. Right. But the issue is, is that these practices that originally come from us are, are our greatest source of power. Yeah. And so it's this internalized oppression that has mm-hmm. happened, but that's happening on the outside too of like, we don't do that. But what, what I'm finding is that when people of color, Native American people, indigenous, when all of us yes. come back to these practices, it feels like we're coming home. Yeah. There's this huge awakening. And then there's this exponential, like, foosh, like people just yes. fly in a few years, like straight up to the surface. But what's happening, like you said, is on the outside, then the systems push it down. down. And so that's right. We're working. We're, we're working. working. And people like you are helping. That's why we're having this conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So let's talk about some of the practices. And I want to say this for me right now, in the midst of this global pandemic that we're in, but you know, wherever our listeners are listening from now, we're in a new normal. We're in a new world that is very different to pre-COVID-19. And one of the things that immediately I realized I needed, because as soon as things started kicking off and we were all told to stay home, schools were closed, shops are closed, everything's closed. I felt like I was losing my grip on myself and Mm -hmm. losing my grip on reality, losing my sense of time, 
feeling a real sense of fear and anxiety every single day for myself, for my children, for my parents. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And trying to cling back to, right, this is going to be over soon, right? It's going to be over soon, right? And then we can go back to normal and having to come to that realization, we're never going back to what was. This is a new normal and this is really happening and you have to accept that this is happening. And now what are you going to do? And what has been saving my life every single morning is waking up and meditating and doing yoga. Two things that I have definitely dabbled with in the past, especially on the yoga front. Meditation, you know, I did have for a while a meditation practice and then didn't for a while. Yoga has been something I do on and off as and when. Yeah. Yeah. Every day I'm like, without this, I don't know how I can make it through the day. I want to understand why that, what is happening within me with these practices? Why was my body calling for them? Why was my mind calling for them? And why are they so foundational? And what I will say is that I had the realization that I've come to these practices in a moment of crisis, but I realized very quickly that I should have been doing, that these practices would have helped me when we weren't in crisis. And that that I'm not just going to stay in this through the crisis, that this is actually integral to me, Layla, in my becoming. Yeah. You know, this is such a beautiful question because I think what so many of us are finding, especially people who've been doing the practice, is that the resource is there. Like the work that we've done has built a strong foundation to sit on. And we're all dealing with the anxiety and the uncertainty. I've been saying that like twice a day, I get these like waves of this interesting emotions that that I have to deal with still, but mm-hmm. then we have the practices to deal with them. And I think you're, to your question of why is it calling to you? I think what's happened more than anything is like, let's take the, the situation out. But what's happened is we have recognized that the foundation upon which most of us have built our identity and our lives is not solid and was not as secure as we thought. So like the job that we all thought we had that was secure, the plans that we all thought we made, the contracts we thought we all signed, the everything, the school, how our lives were structured that we thought was certain was like, nope, like all of it. We couldn't even imagine that what's happening even possibly could happen. And so it's shown us like, hold on, like this is where the higher self comes in is going, hey, it's okay. But what I'm showing you is you need to build your house on yes. rock. Yes. You need to build your house on rock. It's like there's this verse in the Bible about that. And on a foundation that's strong and that is immovable. And that strong and immovable force is your higher self, is your inner self, is that self that's inside of you that doesn't move with the storms, that's bigger than all of it. And so I think those of us who are answering that call are beginning to find our way in this new normal. I don't want to say easier, but we're finding a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And whereas I think some people are like, where's my house? Like, I want my old house back. And you're like, girl, that blew away with the sand. It wasn't on the right foundation. I just want to tell people if you're having that call and it doesn't have to be meditation, as much as I love it to be meditation, like you have to have something that's waking up that juice inside of you mm-hmm. that's helping you ground and center in your self with the capital S, like Layla said. And that, that's what's being called of us right now. And I want to say self, this is really important to me. I want to expand the definition of the word self because yeah. like we have this thing that 
I don't think is good in the quote unquote self empowerment world or self help world Mm -hmm. that this comes from the white supremacy, like parts of it that are totally embedded that it's like, it's all about me, 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 me. No, like self, I think there's this amazing teacher, Dan Siegel, who talks about this concept of it's not me and it's not we, it's we. It's all of us we? together. We. Cause, because like, and we're finding, we found this very clearly with yeah. COVID-19. Like right. we affect each other. Right. Your well-being is essential to mine. Intrinsically and so, connected. Intrinsically. And so when we're talking about taking care of ourselves, mm. we're really understanding now that that doesn't just mean like for my benefit, for my gain, it is, again, a part of being a good ancestor, I think. Right. I love that. And thank you for introducing us to Mui. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to look up Dan Siegel. He's an amazing teacher. He's in my book and a few things. It's a really cool thing because a lot of people say, oh, we shouldn't focus on the self. It's all about us coming together and we right. are one. But then that ignores the differentiation that's so beautiful that we have amongst ourselves. Right. And so it's not about from me to we, it's about we. <laughs> so us together. That's beautiful. I love that you used the word build. You said this about building your house, right? And actually my yeah. word of the year is is build. And so that came to me very quickly in as I started doing this practices that you know my conversation with myself is you have been saying you want to build your relationship with yourself. Here's an opportunity for you to do that. <laughs> you have no excuse. Yeah. And it really became a, a necessity, but it's also for me as I said become something that I recognize actually is is not a crisis bandage moment, but actually a long-term practice. One of the things that I want to thank you for is that you gave me permission to not have to meditate for an hour each day. Oh, don't. That's too long, girl. (laughs) And so when I said, I used to have a meditation practice, I would love it. I'd be floating my higher self, you know, all this for an hour each day. And then because it wasn't sustainable, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a business owner, I'm a writer. It just wasn't sustainable. And so I fell off of it. And I remember reading in your book, what was the number of minutes that you said is recommended? 12. 12, 12 minutes. Yeah, 12 yeah. is like the minimum. And I tell people like between 12 and 17 is usually you've hit a good place. So I have a 15 minute meditation practice and I'm good. I'm good yeah. to go. And I, you know, that overachiever self in me was the one that said, you have to do it for an hour. Surely, if fifteen minutes is great, then an hour is even God, better. Right? Hours even better. But you know what? You know what's crazy is what the studies have shown, and here's the, the science behind mm-hmm. it. The studies have all shown that all the benefits that we hear about meditation helps you sleep. Da 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 da. All the different yeah. things come from consistent practices daily, not long practices every once in a while. Yeah, that's where all the research shows. And so, it's better to meditate for twelve minutes a day. Yeah. every single day than to meditate for an hour, four days a week. You know, that's what the science is backing. Okay. So give us a quick and dirty guide yes. to how we do a 12 minute meditation for those oh. who are new, for those who are uncomfortable with the idea of it, for those who think that you have to have a, a special mat and a special seat and special uh-uh. crystals and Give us your quick and dirty guide. Yeah. So here's the deal. A few quick things. Number one, you do not have to sit cross-legged, okay? You do not have to sit on the floor. You don't have to sit cross-legged. You can sit wherever you want. In the bathtub, I know a lot of moms have to get in the shower and sit on the floor because it's the only place they can get quiet in your bed. 
wherever you want, you just have to make sure you're comfortable because if your body is not comfortable, your brain literally cannot relax. So you have to start by getting your body comfortable. You don't have to sit up tall. The second thing is meditation is not about relaxing. This is a huge thing that I have to tell people. People think because of the images that we've seen of meditation of like this woman sitting on a mountaintop with white light surrounding her, that like meditation is supposed to be this beautiful experience always, but it depends how we define beautiful because Mm -hmm. meditation isn't about relaxing. It isn't about being Zen. It's about becoming more alive, becoming more connected to your passions, more connected to your emotions, more connected to the essential nature of who you are. And so what that means for those of us who have trauma or have grown up with different things or dealing with oppression is when we sit to meditate, meditation is going to make us feel some of those things that we've been pushing down. And mm. it's not our job anymore to use that energy, all that vital life force energy to keep pushing it down. Our job when we practice is to give it a safe space to come up and to be healed. And sometimes it gets healed right in your practice. And sometimes, I don't want to say that meditation is going to heal everything because it's not. Sometimes you'll notice in every practice, the same thing will keep coming up and coming up and coming up. It's not coming up to hurt you. It's coming up to teach you, to show you, hey, this is an area of your life where you need to take more action. Mm. We need to learn about something, read something, go to a therapist. This is something you need to heal. And so what I tell people is if you don't always feel relaxed, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And the last thing that I'll say is that, and this is, I think, the most common misconception about meditation, is that people think that in order to meditate, you have to get your mind to stop thinking. Yeah. I just want anybody with a brain to think very clearly about what that would sound like. You cannot get your mind to stop thinking. Empty your mind. It doesn't, it's not possible. Like, it literally is not possible. That would be like me saying, okay, you guys, in order to meditate, we all have to get our hearts to stop beating. One, two, three, go. Like, you don't get your mind to stop thinking. The mind is billions of neurons smashing together, creating thoughts. What I find is that we don't actually want to get our minds to stop thinking. That's what we've been told we think we're supposed to want. Right. What we want is to get our thoughts to work for us instead of against us. That's what we want. And so meditation is not about getting your mind to stop thinking. If you think you've gotten your mind to stop thinking, you didn't because that idea is just what a thought. So you like, it's all there. And so when we get into our practice, what I invite people to do in the book and what is my favorite part of the Stay Woke book is the invitation for people to self-generate and create their own mantra. Yeah. Talk to me about this because I'm really excited to talk about this. And just a time out there. So I just want to highlight something very key that you said, because I never thought about about it this way. You said telling people to stop thinking is like saying, stop your heart. Start your heart. And I hadn't realized that we're never not thinking. No. Just like our hearts are never not beating. Yeah. So how would we do that? Right. So that's like, okay, thank you. it's It's just not a thing to do. By making a goal of stopping thinking, you're going to constantly, and this is what most people's meditation practices feel like when they're doing the wrong style. There's lots of styles. Right. And some styles do ask you to stop thinking. And that's because these are styles that come from monks. But y'all, we ain't monks. Like monks had to give up their family, give up their life, give up hunger, give up food, give up drinking, everything, sex, 
to go sit under a tree and devote their life to spiritual practice. And to do that, they had to disconnect themselves from that part of their humanness. Right. We don't want that. No. That's not what we want. No. We want to be more authentic, more of ourselves. And more present with each other, with ourselves, with each other. Right. Exactly. So yeah. when we're doing the wrong styles, and I don't, I don't want to say that any style is bad or wrong. There's different things for different people. But what I find is that when we're doing the wrong style, meditation often feels like, oh, I'm sitting here and I'm doing it wrong because mm-hmm. I have to get myself to stop thinking. And I'm on this endless journey for years and years. And eventually, hopefully I'll be able to get myself to stop thinking. Right. Or, oh, I got myself to stop thinking for 10 seconds. So now I'm trying to hold on to and get to back that to moment. I've had, hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm going to come back to there. I was in the gap between thoughts yeah. and that's where I want to come back to. Okay. Thank you for that. Now, then you said, it's not about not stopping thinking. It's about getting our thoughts to work for us. Yeah. So you were going to talk about mantras. So talk to us about mantras and what they are versus ah. what we think they are. Yeah, this is they are an important tool. I'm so glad you asked this question, Layla, because I often when I'm in an audience of people, and I love doing this, especially around like a bunch of like white yoga women, it's my favorite question to ask. So I'm like, how many of you have heard of the word mantra? And everybody very confidently raises their hand. I'm like, how many of you know what mantra means? And everyone's like, um, I actually don't know what it means. It's not an English word. No. Right. this is the thing. Mantra is not an affirmation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be chanted or sung. It doesn't have to be something given to you by a guru. It doesn't lose its power if you tell it to somebody. It doesn't even have to be a word, to be honest with you, but it can be, and it most often is. But a mantra comes from two roots in Sanskrit, manas and tra, which mm-hmm. brings us together for mantra, which means a tool of thought, mm. a tool of thought. And so just like we would grab a hammer and a nail if we were going to hang up a picture frame or grab like one of those funny little Ikea screwdriver things instead of a regular screwdriver if you're putting together Ikea furniture, you grab a mantra if you want to work on something in your mind. Mm. And here's the thing. The reason most guided meditation apps get boring after a while and why they don't stick for people long-term. And I, one thing I love about teaching and the way that I teach is people just get really honest with me about their practices. And they're like, okay, well, I tried to do this app, but I did it for like two weeks, and then I stopped, and then I started, and I stopped. Yeah. The reason this happens is because these apps, which I love, but they're created for situational-based practices, not a practice that is the foundation that you can do for your whole life. Right. Okay. And so like what happens with apps is you are relying on the external, someone outside of you to tell you what you need. So you go on an app and they're like, today's meditation is peace. And while that might be fine, usually the apps aren't doing any harm. No. You may not need peace. Like you may be getting ready to go on stage and you need power or safety or whatever. And so what I guide people through in the book is the ability to create their own mantra that is self-generated from within. And so what does that look like? You know, because we want people to get the book. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but I think it's a key tool that people can quickly take with them. Because you said it doesn't have to be something in another, you know, in Sanskrit, it doesn't have to be something Mm -hmm. that someone gives to you. It 
can be something that's self-generated. Is it a word that you choose? Can you choose it at random? Do you yeah. chant it to yourself? I mean, how do you work with Let it? Let me tell you. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind if I like guide us through a very short experience. Would you want yeah. to do something? Just talk about I it. Yeah. would selfishly love that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's and do it. And love it for it. my audience as well. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. 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 So, if you're in a space where you can close your eyes, I welcome you to do that. If not, you can do this with your eyes open. And just take a full deep breath in. Hold the breath at the top. Place both hands over your heart, one hand on top of the other. And then open the mouth, let it go, the breath. And again, just grounding into yourself, a deep, full breath in, into your chest. Feeling your heart expand. And open the mouth, let it go. Now just sitting restfully and comfortably. I want you for a moment to imagine yourself, your higher self at some point in the future, living the life of your dreams. You have the job you've always wanted, the relationship you've always wanted, the house you've always wanted, the body you've always wanted, the family you've always Everything you could possibly dream of beyond your circumstances has come true. And I want you to just see if you can visualize or imagine that now. You might have a bunch of different images shuffling in front of you. That's fine. It might be incomplete. That's fine. If you're having trouble visualizing, that's also fine. You may not be a visual person. You're not doing it wrong. Just know that you might imagine with feeling or smell or taste or emotion. Just trust what comes up for you. And as you imagine your future self, who's living the life of your dreams, notice where are you in this vision that helps you indicate that you're living the life of your dreams. Are you indoor or are you outdoor? What color are you wearing? Who do you see there with you? Are you alone? Just see for the next 10 seconds or so if you can expand this vision and notice anything else you might see, even if it's incomplete. What are you doing in this vision that indicates that you're living the life of your dreams? mind has wandered, just come back to that vision. Let it expand for another few seconds, just noticing any colors, textures, or anything in your environment that makes it real for you. Any feelings, sensations in your body as you see it. Now I'm going to ask you a question. As you see and look at this future version of you, what energy do you need to cultivate in your life now, today, to become closer to being that person that you see in your vision? What energy do you need to cultivate in your life now, today, to become closer to being that person in your vision? Just trust what arises. You can come with like one, two, or three words. The first thing that pops up for you, what energy do you need? Just mark that, those words in your head, repeat them to yourself a few times so you remember them. It's okay if it's one word or two or three. It's fine. 
anything that came up is right. Trust that what came up for you is right. Take a deep breath in, a deep breath out, and open your eyes. So what we just created together was a little quick version of creating your own mantra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still there. I'm still in my still vision. There. I'm still in my vision. Yeah, it's Justin. hard to come out of it when we get there, right? But like, what's so important about this that I want to lay out? That to be honest, Leela, I actually understood at a deeper level after I wrote the book. Mm. It's like what just happened there. Even in that quick version, is I asked you to imagine a future you, that mm-hmm. same higher self that we were talking about, that my grandma, that Lauren, that everybody helped us see that Layla talked about, a future you that is living beyond your circumstances. And then I said, okay, now here's you now. Yeah. And then I, we acknowledge there's a gap. Yeah. There's a gap. And the question that I asked was, what energy do you need to become to fill that gap? Yeah. And notice, I didn't say, what do you have to do? Yeah. So many of us are so busy. What do I have to do? I have to do this. I have to do this. No, no, no. Who do you have to be? And that's where this energy comes from. And then we fuel ourselves off that energy. And the words that you came up with right there, those are your mantra words. That's your mantra. So what came up for you, Leila? I'm curious. Well, first of all, thank you for that. That was a beautiful practice. And there were so many things that you said as you were guiding us through it that really struck me. You know, you said, don't worry if you can't see it. You know, maybe you're not a visual person. You're not doing it wrong. And I was like, okay, I am. But I was seeing flashing images. You know, I was like trying to grab onto it. And you said that and I relaxed. And I said, just trust whatever's coming up. The words that came up for me, the first word that came up was love, Mm. which I wasn't expecting. And then it grew to expansive love because there was this energy of, of expansion. And if you had asked me prior to doing what you just did with us, guiding us through that, if I had to just choose with my intellect, yeah, the word, it wouldn't have been love. Oh my gosh, Layla, I'm so glad you named that because yeah. this is why we do the practice yeah. as we're trying to change our lives and step into our lives. Because if we're not anchoring into the heart. Yeah. If we're not letting our visions and our lives and, and the, the things to do and who we want to be come from there, then they come from our head. Right. And like that's what's got us into this mess in the first place. Well, absolutely. You know? Because I mean, even the vision I saw wasn't the thing that I thought I would see. There's yeah. so many things I want to do. There's so many things I want to see. There's so many things I want to have. You know, there's so much that I, the impact I want to have on the world. But what I saw was my family. That was what I saw. That was me living my best life as my family in a beautiful home, in the kitchen, getting ready for the day. And we could see out the window, our beautiful garden. And that was it. That was like top, top living our best lives. That's amazing. You know, and my family are like, we are a unit. And so it's, it's not a surprise, but at the same time, it's so interesting that there is the part of me that, you know, still grapples for the, the stuff. Right. And then there's the part of me that just knows, but this is what makes you really happy. Yeah. Yeah. This is beautiful. And I want to say that most people, a lot of people, I would say, every time I teach, I would say 50% of the people say, Whoa, what came up for me was not what I was expecting. Right. I saw kids. I saw this. I saw that. I saw that. And I'm like, Yes, that's because you, for a second, just dropped 
in. Yeah. And this is where that you that my grandma woke me up to is. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. This is where that you is. And so we have to try to live our lives from that place as much as possible. And, and that's why I invite people to use that as a mantra as their primary practice. Right. And because that is going to help you become who you want to be. And then when you want to grab an app, because there's something in your life going on that you don't know how to navigate. Right. Yeah. Boom. Let me use this app for anxiety. Let me use this one for this, for creativity. But my main practice is a mantra that has come from within. So now I want to link this in as we wrap up this conversation. I'm going to be asking you my final question, but I want to wrap this up too. As our listeners are people who are desiring to live their life as good ancestors, become good ancestors, how can they use this mantra practice that you've just led us through? Whatever mantra comes up for them, how can they use it to become the good ancestors they want to become? Mm, this is perfect. So the way to use the mantra, just on a very practical level, yeah. there's a lot of techniques in the book, but the easiest one is to close your eyes if you're comfortable and repeat the words of the mantra in rhythm with your breath. Mm. So just invite it in. And But the thing that I'll tell you that's probably most important Again, it's less about what you do out yeah. in the outside world, but about as you repeat your mantra, let's say it's like Layla's and it's expansive love. Yeah. What's going to happen for you is, yes, you're going to have all these beautiful things come up that remind you of love, but what's also going to come up is all the ways that you haven't felt love. Mm. All the things that are holding you back from hello shadow, (laughs) all the shadow. It's gonna all come, and then you're gonna be like, "Oh no, I must be doing it wrong because I don't feel like I felt the time Justin guided me through it." But you're not. You're doing it right. And what's happening, and why you're being a good ancestor when you're doing that, is because you are healing. You are healing, Mm. and so that healing is what's essential to the liberation of us now and for the future generations. Yeah. And so that's what I'm going to invite you to do is let your mantra call forth and draw up the things in your life that are holding you back from becoming who you know you were meant to be on this planet and then allow yourself to let them heal. Mm. Oh, Justin, this conversation has been everything. Thank you. Oh, thank you so, so much. You've given me personally so much. Yeah, I think my meditation game is about to be elevated in a whole new way. (laughs) We need it. We need it. (laughs) I'll check in with you back a year from now. And I'll be like, remember when? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. This is what happened. Thank you so, so much. So, Justin, my final question for you. What does it mean to you to be a good ancestor? Being a good ancestor to me means showing up today. Mm -hmm. to do the work that we need to do inside and outside so that we can leave this world better than it was when we got on it and leave it better than it was for our families, for our higher selves, for our communities, and for the people who can't help themselves. We belong to each other. And the way that we can really be good ancestors is by going deep inside healing all the things that we can in this lifetime that are holding us back from becoming who we were meant to be so that the next generation can take that further and further and further. Just like all the ancestors past have sacrificed their lives 
and their passions. You know, one thing I say, Layla, is that we are the first generation Mm. with the opportunity to even think about things like mental health and manifesting and life purpose. Yeah. And that's because our ancestors paid for us so that we could. So let's do this work, take it further so that we can pay for the next generation. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. That is very deeply resonant with my own definition of of good ancestorship. So thank you so much for sharing that. Justin, where can people get Stay Woke? Where can they connect with you? And what exciting things do you have going on that you want people to look out for? Yes. So Stay Woke is available in all the places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, most local booksellers, and Audible. And is it narrated by you? It's narrated by me. Yes, yes, it is. So I read the whole book and and it has a bunch of audio guided practices that you can go through as well. So that's a a big thing. You would just search for that anywhere. The website, if you want to just get the book there is staywokegiveback.com and that'll take you everywhere. If you just search Justin Michael Williams anywhere, you will find me on social media and things. And my Instagram is wejustwill. But the last thing that I think is honestly the most important thing that I want to mention, Layla, is what's happening with my book tour. So what's happened is we've kind of flipped the traditional book tour model on its head a little bit. And instead of going to bookstores, which is kind of classically what happens, we said, all right, what if to really bring this to the rest of us, we go to some of the most marginalized communities in the United States and we go to high schools and we go to colleges and we actually do these huge events for the kids and surprise them and give the book away for free. And we've raised from the community, my publisher put in a lot of money to help us get to the first few schools, but we've actually raised $140,000 to go to schools in the United States. Wow. So we're going to 14 schools right now, and we're trying to get to as many young people as we possibly can to get this to them, and they need this now more than ever. Hmm. And so if you want to help us get to more schools or even bring us to your city, we are preparing for this tour to go kind of long-term. You can go to staywokegiveback.org. That's mm-hmm. staywokegiveback.org. And it only costs $8 to give this to one child, or you can give more. There's sponsorship opportunities, partnerships. You can bring us to your city. And so as much as I want people to give, get the book for themselves, what I really want is for us to be able to get this to the kids who don't have access to this. So that's, I think, being a good ancestor too, right? That is 100% being a good ancestor. (laughs) That is amazing. And I love that you flipped the whole model on its head and said, how can I get not only the contents that I'm putting into this book to be aligned with my message, but the way that I walk out this deliverance to the world to be very much in alignment with that. And that is beautiful. Is this something that will be a long-term thing that people can give to you? Yeah. So yeah. what was originally was we were like, oh, we, let's try to get to 10 cities. And then what happened is we kept getting so much support that we're like, okay, this is going to keep going. And it was supposed right. to happen all through the spring. But yeah. then with COVID-19, we did yeah. the Bay Area, we did Atlanta, and then uh, we were supposed to go to Flint, Michigan, but we paused. Mm-hmm. And now we're picking up everything in the fall and Excellent. beyond. Excellent. So it's going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you, Justin. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Layla. It's really, and thank you for the work that you're doing in this world and how you're bringing all of us together, Layla. It is the greatest honor and privilege to be on this podcast with you. So oh, you. I feel very blessed. <laughs> I got a whole <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Take care. This is Layla Saad, and you've been listening to Good Ancestor Podcast.
I hope this episode has helped you find deeper answers on what being a good ancestor means to you. We'd love to have you join the Good Ancestor podcast family over on Patreon, where subscribers get early access to new episodes, patron-only content and discussions, and special bonuses. Join us now at patreon.com forward slash good ancestor podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a good ancestor.